That's all we got. Okay, let's open up the Bible. 1 John chapter 5. We're only going to go through verses 10, 11, and 12. And really, um, I'm going to use those as kind of a launching point to uh, a kind of a grander thought. So I had to break out my old, this is, this is the Bible I had when I first graduated college and got into ministry. It is now very worn. I call it my leprosy Bible because it leaves chunks of leather wherever it goes. But my other Bible's at home, so I had to pull this one out of my shelf. All right, so here we go. I'm just going to read 1 John 5, verses 10, 11, and 12. And then we're going to kind of go through and launch into something um, that is, I think, kind of in this text is, is connected to it. So here's what it says. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe, God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Well, this connects to last week. If you were here, we talked about this word testify and testimony. And so we talked about what it looks like. What do we actually testify? And here's the definition of what our testimony looks like. And our guys group on Sunday night talked about this a little bit. Too often, um, young people and even adults even, um, when you ask them to, uh, if they're a Christian, you say, hey, share your testimony. Too often what they do is they start to go down this really long life story that when you really listen to it, at the end of it, you get a sense of this person in the story is kind of the center of the story. And so their testimony is, yeah, God did this, and then I was like this, and then I was like this, and then this happened in my life, and then I used to be this way, but now I'm this way. And you see, when they started to talk like that, their testimony really is focused on them as the person. And, and what this is saying here is that our testimony should not be centered on us. It be sh- should be centered on Christ. That's kind of the idea in this text. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And it talks about what a testimony is. Now, I think it's also interesting that in this text, he kind of gives you some really blanket and probably big ideas that you guys get very easily, right? It says this, you can have eternal life. Here's the requirement. You believe in the Son of God. That's what you need to have. And you believe in the Son of God, and you believe that your eternal life depends on Jesus, that without Jesus, you can't have eternal life. You can't get into heaven. That's your testimony. You believe in that, and if you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you do not have this eternal life. It's really quite simple. Now, what I think is a challenge for so many people, young or old, is that the requirement is belief, which is something that you can't physically hold on to. Like, like that, for us, belief, and even what I, I like a better word, trust, even trust is something so hard for us, we can't put our hands on it or wrap our arms around it. So the idea that something so big, like your eternal destiny, rests on belief is sometimes really hard. Not only is it resting on something you can't hold on to, it's resting in belief in someone you've never physically seen with your eyes. So, so let's, again, just boiling this down to really elementary, basic principles. This is saying, in order to have life, you have to believe in the Son of God. Believe in someone you've never seen before. That's really difficult. And, and I'm, here to, I'm here to acknowledge that for you this, this evening. It is difficult to really, at some level, believe that that's all that there is. Because that just sounds too easy. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God gives me eternal life. 
is it really that easy? That, that seems like there should be more. Something so big should require something so much more. And, and, and people have asked this question before, like, how do I get eternal life? What do it, what I need to gain eternal life? I wanted to take you guys back a second um, and hit the Wayback Machine. This is a picture. Uh, they have it. And I brought, I actually brought the actual ticket. This is 23-year-old version Kyle and Morgan. We are not married at this point. We are dating. Um, and I only brought this up because I was thinking about it because every year we're, we're within the month. We're within a month. To my, don't take pictures of this. Put, put this down. Um, so this is like, that's iPhone like generation three selfie, uh, by the way. Okay, so anyway, um, the reason I thought about this is because we often talk about this. this. We went to this hockey game. We went to a Washington Capitals hockey game for my birthday. She bought the tickets. We were just dating at the time. And to this day, we have known each other now, if you do the math, for 13 years. Um, if you want to do the math, 23 years old. Tilly, put your phone away. Stop. All right, anyway, I knew this was dangerous. Morgan's not even here tonight, guys, because somebody's in our house is sick, and she's with them, so at your own risk. Anyway, um, so she brought me the tickets, and here is the actual ticket. Um, I am, I am, I find that I am quite a sentimental person. I have a box. I have, oh, there it is. There it is. See, the ladies in the room respect this. The guys are like, you are so soft right now. But hey, listen. Listen, it's true. I have tickets from all of our dates uh, all the way up until we were engaged and then married. Um, so this is the actual ticket. She bought it off of Ticketmaster from uh, a season ticket holder named Jeff Perlock. It was issued to her on April 14th. We went to the game on April 17th. My birthday is on the 21st. The reason I bring this up is because to this day, there has never been a better birthday gift that she's ever given me. She outdid herself on, on gift one. We weren't even married yet, and she outdid herself to this day. She's never given me anything better. That game was epic. The Capitals were down in the game. They came back and ended up winning in overtime. It was 6-5 to five in hockey. That's a lot of goals. It was super exciting. In the overtime game, the arena went crazy. So much so, as I was thinking about this earlier today, I went on YouTube, found the highlights of this game, and when the guy shoots it and it goes in the net, the arena erupted, and I was like, I was a part of that. It was so cool. But the reason I brought this is because um, to get into a sporting event, you have to have a ticket. Bringing this full circle, when you guys played my crazy game at the beginning, Penny, it's called Penny Chinny, if you want to know, uh, trademark that. Um, I told you, if you were listening, that if you take a penny, you are admitted into my game. That is the ticket, that is the price of admission, you are in the game now. Now, some of you guys still didn't play, you just took my penny, you stole, we can talk about that later, you're in church, but okay. Um, but I want you to hold on to that, because the ticket that I have got me into that game. I showed up, little scanner. They let me in, right? I paid for this, or Morgan did. Uh, Morgan paid for this, and we were therefore given the right to enter into the game. Without this, we would not be allowed to enter into the game. In a lot of ways, too, you have to start thinking in your mind, as some people have thought before, what is your ticket into eternity? What is it going to be that you're going you're gonna to hand in when you show up and you are face-to-face -face with your creator and you say, okay, hey, listen, I'm in. Can you purchase that? Like, see, I, I, I know that I, I, this was purchased, so it comes with certain rights to it, right? Like, I have a right to enter into the game. If you ever read the fine print on this, it tells you what this actually does. But it also has some interesting things on it, like management reserves the right without the refund of any portion of this ticket purchase price. 
That doesn't sound very secure, actually. Now, as you read this, to refuse admission or to eject any person whose conduct is deemed by management to be disorderly, who uses vulgar or abusive language, or fails to comply with these or other management rules. Breach of any of these foregoing will automatically terminate this license. No refunds. That's in all caps, even though it's really tiny. No exchanges, except as provided herein. Event and time are subject to change. All rights are reserved. So despite the fact that I have this ticket and it got me into the game, there's a lot of caveats to this ticket. It's not a guarantee. And, and so I want to take you to a passage of scripture that I go back to frequently. Um, I want to take you to Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10 for the rest of this time. It's the story of the rich young man. The rich young man who asks Jesus what it's going to be like. What do I need as the ticket to enter into eternity? By the way, it's really interesting, and we're going to come back to this in a second, but if you ever read Mark 10, the whole chapter, you need to notice something that right before that Jesus talks to the rich young man, there's an incident or an event where Jesus blesses young children, and he says, let the children come to me, don't hinder them. Because the disciples are like, no, 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 little kids, get away, shoo, 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 Jesus is too busy for you. And then he goes into this story where this man runs up to him right after the event with the children. That's important, but plus context. It's really important. All right, here's what, we, here's what it says in Mark 10, verses 17 and 18. We're going to take a chunk here time. And as he was setting out on his journey, this is Jesus, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's the question that he's asking. What's the ticket? I need a ticket to get in, right? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, before we continue on, I want to stop there for a second. I find his question really interesting because the word inherit, uh, he wants to inherit it. Now, inheriting is a very legal term. It means that when somebody passes away, they legally give me all of their stuff, and it becomes my own and no longer belongs to anyone else or the previous owner. So inheriting something, now this is a very legal thing. It can't be taken from you. It can't be stripped from you. It is guaranteed. So he's essentially asking, good teacher, how can I be guaranteed eternal life? So that there are no refunds, no exchanges, nobody can come back with the fine print later on and go, hey, listen, by the way, if you mess this up, subject to change, we could remove the inheritance from you. He is asking, how can I, without a shadow of a doubt, know that I have eternal life secure? And then he says something interesting, right? He calls him good teacher. And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, I want you to understand something. Jesus is not saying to him, hey, listen, it's not me that is not good. He's not saying that. He's not denying that he is good or even God in the flesh. He's not denying that. But what he is trying to get this guy to understand is that you need to see that even the good in people comes from God, not from them. You need to see that goodness in and of itself, anything that you call good, comes from God alone. People are not good on their own. God is good and does good things through them, and therefore any good things that we do is all sourced back to God, right? So, so if you ever write a paper and you footnote something and you give it the source, that's the same thing in your life. Anytime you do something that is good or of value that is holy and righteous, footnote it, go back, the source is God. Bless you. So here's, here's the first part of the story, and we're going to break it into different scenes, but the first part is the encounter. 
you understand that this young man walks up to Jesus, runs up to him actually, kneels before him, and is understanding that there is something that he wants to ensure is secure. Here's why. He understands that eternity is a big deal. He gets that. He understands that eternal life is a big deal, and he values it. He values what's going to happen to him in eternity. But he also knows that something isn't quite there. He wants to make sure he has it secure. So let's continue going on. Verses 19 and 20. Jesus continues talking. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to them, or to him, sorry, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, put it on there because the checklist is given. Jesus gives him a list. He says, well, you know the commandments. You've got to keep those. But what's important to notice is what Jesus does not list. And, and you may see it um, off the bat that there are commandments, and he jumps into the back half of the Ten Commandments. So he neglects all of the commandments one through four that are centered on God. But he also ends before he gets to the final commandment, which is interesting. The final commandment being basically do not covet. He doesn't list that one in this list. And so when the guy responds, he says, I have kept all of these from my youth. But Jesus is doing something really important here. He sees beyond the exterior of this man, just like he sees beyond the exterior of us. He can see everything that you've done. He can see everything that you've ever said. He can see everything that you've ever kind of put before other people and said, here's why I am a Christian. Or here's why you can trust that when I say I believe in God, this is it. And he can see beyond that. He can see into your heart just the same way that he saw into this man's heart. And the reason why it was so important that he left out the coveting one is because that's the one that this guy can't break free of. He's a rich man. Meaning that he has the wealth to obtain whatever he really needs. And you could say, well, he's in love with money. But you could also look at it this way with coveting, right? He's afraid that if other people have stuff that he wants, he will be unsatisfied with his life. So the way that you prevent yourself from being unsatisfied by looking at what other people have that you don't is you go just get everything that you want. So that way you'll never be dissatisfied, right? It's a way to foolproof your heart from ever coveting. I don't need to look at my neighbor and wish, oh man, I wish I had that car, or I wish I had that stuff, or I had those clothes, or those shoes, or that video game system. I don't have to do that if I just get a lot of money and buy all that stuff that I want anyway so that I'll never covet what my neighbor has. So this man is chased after wealth and riches, and he has basically foolproofed and insulated his heart in such a way that he won't covet what somebody else has or he doesn't. Because he's like, I have everything. What could I ever need? I've got it all. That picture of me at the beginning, I was a little younger than that. And so if I was 23 in that picture and I looked like I was probably like 16, uh, if I showed you a picture of me when I was 19, you'd probably think I was like in middle school. Um, Just it's my curse. It is what it is to the point that when I graduated high school, you know, got the cap and gown picture holding a diploma. Morgan saw it in my parents' house and came over to meet my parents and thought, oh, that's a cute middle school graduation picture. True story. That is embarrassing. 
But listen, I have very, uh, I have a very high threshold for embarrassment, so it takes a lot. I'm, I'm not afraid to tell these things. But can I just tell you for a second, on a personal note, why this story really resonates with me? Not because I've ever been rich. In fact, I don't know if I've ever had a ton of money in my bank account all at once to be considered wealthy by the world's standards. So I'm not going to tell you that I've ever had a lot of money. But as a 19-year-old in college and 20-year-old in college, I, I was rich in a lot of ways that I felt like I didn't need anything. It wasn't money. Um, for me, it was my success and the dreams that I had dreamt since I was a kid were coming true. And as nerdy as this sounds, but I was a kid as a, as a young person who dreamt of being a sports announcer. I just thought that was going to be what I was going to be, and I, I lived my life on that track. When I was in college, I started working at ESPN and Fox Sports, and I was getting opportunities. I was in locker rooms. I was interviewing pro athletes. I was meeting coaches. I was making connections. I was networking. I was killing it, and I thought it was going the direction I wanted to go, and I was rich in that. I loved it. At the same time, God started working in my heart and drawing me closer to him. And when I read this story and I see what Jesus says in the next verses that we're about to read to the rich young man, Ben, I feel the same way that he was reaching out and speaking to me at that time in my life. Listen to what he says. And Mark, Mark is the only gospel writer who captures this in this account. This is why I chose Mark's gospel to read out of. Verse 21 says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him, said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. For so long, um, I think it's easy to read this story. I think it's easy to read this story and for people to think, man, Jesus, he saw into his heart and he called him out on it. And he broke him. Broke him. Like, it, you see what, it says that he went away disheartened, crying. Jesus did that. Because he knew he wouldn't come back. But it says that Jesus loved him. In fact, in some translations it says, had pity on him. He looked at this man and saw he's enslaved. He's trapped. He's trapped into thinking that, that what he has chased after, what he has accomplished so far in this life, is what he needs. And it's not what he needs. See, see Jesus says you lack one thing. You lack something. So, so you're not guaranteed eternal life. You lack something. And here's what you should do. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And it says that he went away because he had many great possessions. So Jesus commands him to, to re drop his stuff, leave it behind, give it away, never to see it again, and follow Jesus. Now, that is a very demanding statement and command. I'm not going to deny that. But do you also see that Jesus is offering him something? He's not just saying, leave it all. He's offering him something. Jesus says to him, if you watch, look at it again, follow me. Sell all you have and follow me. Jesus is offering him not just eternal life in the, in the future. 
you want to if you want to be pure in heart, he's not saying that you just got to sell all your stuff and that'll be the ticket that gets you to heaven. But he's saying, listen, I'm offering you something better. Right here, right now, follow me. In that following, I'll be with you. I won't leave your side. Jesus has promised him, if you want to sell everything and make me the Lord of your life and follow me, I'll be with you all the way to the end of the age. I remember studying this as a college student. And I still remember God speak. It, it, was, it was one of those moments I've got, I've got a handful written down in my life where I can tell you as clear as day that God's word was speaking directly to me from him. That was in that moment. God's word spoke to me, and he said, Kyle, drop everything you have and follow me. It wasn't money in my bank account to follow him, but it was my dream. It was the stuff that I wanted for my life, stuff that I enjoyed doing, stuff that wasn't evil, stuff that was good on a normal level. But I was clearing everything else out of the way in order to make those things happen, and he was saying to me, Kyle, follow me. Some of you, you're saying you're keeping all the things, but there's one thing that you still lack. And Jesus is calling you and saying, will you give it up and follow me? And for some of you, the, the cost of that seems too big. But, but for others of you, I hope that God speaks and impresses on your heart as I'm so thankful he did for me. That the promise that I understood that it was going to be, if I drop this, God, I'll gain more of you in my life, and you're enough. And I just want more of you. For some of you, that has to be the response. That has to be the answer that God gives to you. Some of you guys are going to weigh, or you're going to count the cost like the young man did, and you're going to be disheartened by what Jesus says. Jesus is going to call you to give up something, and you're going to say, no, no, I don't want to give that up. I enjoy that too much, or I'm too comfortable in that. But you don't realize what he's guaranteeing you is that he'll be with you if you leave it behind. Let's finish up with this last part of the passage, because I don't think it's, it should be lost how this all goes together. Verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. His disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Really quickly, just to, I'm going to be really fast on this. I could spend so much more time on this, but the reason why he said camel and needle, a camel was basically the largest land animal in their society at the time. And the eye of a needle, like, you know, needle with your clothing, was the smallest opening that they would have in their house. So he's giving you a drastic extreme of the largest land animal versus the smallest opening in your house. Basically, the idea would be it can't be done, right? They were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Here's why they said that and why Jesus is identifying rich people in this passage. They identified if you're wealthy, that means God blesses you, God approves of you, God must think that you're okay with him. And so they associated wealth with righteousness, blessing with wealth. They as assumed that if you were wealthy, God approved of you. And what Jesus is telling them is that that is not the case at all because then he says in the very next verse, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. See, they're left 
kind of lost. How can anybody be saved if this is the case? If wealthy people, will, it's impossible for them to enter the kingdom of God. But they're the blessed ones, Jesus. They're the approved ones, Jesus. How are they ever, how is anybody going to ever be saved? And he answers, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So here is the final truth. You cannot do anything to gain eternal life. There is nothing you can do to earn or purchase or gain a ticket that will get you into eternal life. Nothing. Nothing. That truth is designed by God, not my own truth. It it is the truth of God's word. It is a truth designed to make you do one of two things. Either be terrified of that and go, what? It's not in my control so that you understand that it's not about you, it's about God. Or it's to free you so that you understand, man, there's nothing I can do to earn God's grace, God's goodness, to earn, to earn the ticket into heaven. I'll never get there on my own. Praise God. It's not up to me. It's got to be up to somebody else. That's the good news, what we call the gospel. I wrote this quote down, um, or I, I copied it off a hymn. This is one of my favorite hymns, and this is it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's it. That, that, that's the testimony. If you want to go back to John, 1 John 5, that is the testimony that we are to proclaim and believe and, and, and shout out to everyone else. My hope is built on nothing less. When I enter to heaven, what I'm going to be holding up is not the stuff that I've done, not the amount of times I went to church, not the amount of times I showed up or I served or I did all these things or anything like that. I'm not going to stand up there one guy, guy, day, guys, as a pastor and go, listen, I preached X amount of times, and I really did a really good job of all these things. I shared the gospel with all these students, and I met with all these people, and I gave my heart and my life and my service and my time, my energy to the church. I'm not going to list all that out. What I'm going to do is I'm going to stand before God and say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ's righteousness. And I won't trust anything else, but I'll lean wholly on Jesus' name. For some of you, you're with me. You're like, yeah, that's me too. I'm going to testify that. For some of you, maybe that's not your testimony at this point. Maybe you're still trying to figure out how you can earn it or you think that there is something to be earned or, or maybe you're just going to put yourself above somebody else. However you think you're going to get into heaven, the reality is that right there is the key and that's what gets you in. To get to that point where you say your hope is built on nothing less, you have to do what Jesus commanded the rich young man to do, follow him. Leave behind the stuff that you want and follow him. Now for those of you who say, yeah, that's my testimony, Kyle, I'm with you, man. Can I just end with one little quick word of warning before we go? This, this chapter finishes up. It says this in Mark 28 through 31. Peter, love Peter, began to say to him, see what we have left, everything, and followed you. Basically, Peter goes, listen, you just told him, drop everything you have, come um, follow me. And he couldn't do it, but hey, Jesus, listen, we did that. Like, do you remember, like, you said follow me, and I literally dropped my nets, my livelihood. I had a fishing economy empire, and I dropped that. I was making money. I had a, had a good life. I dropped it and followed you. Peter's like, man, we did that, Jesus. We followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands 
for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Now that sounds really kind of riddleish from Jesus. Basically Jesus is saying, listen, I see that you have, lo- I, that you have left behind things for me. You'll be rewarded in eternity. You, you've already got the entrance into eternity and you'll be rewarded there. But then listen to verse 31. But many who are last will be first, and the last first. Many who are first will be last, and the last first. Here, here's, here's why this is such, that last line is so important. I want to leave you with this. For some of you who, you believe Jesus is the hope. He is your righteousness, and he is what you're going to bank on for your ticket into heaven. That's good. But don't ever think that you're not still susceptible or you could still jump into this line of thinking that the rich young ruler did where you start to count up all the good stuff that you've done. Peter has a question, but it's also a little bit of self-righteousness. See, see all the stuff we've left behind? We've done that. So what you got for us, Jesus? It's really easy to fall into that trap too. It's really easy for you to start thinking, well, yeah, I mean, I, I've done a lot of things in my life. I've read the Bible, and, I, you know, I've, I've given my heart to the Lord. And I, I've, I've stayed away. I've chosen not to go to things. But in that statement, be very careful that you don't follow it up with this thought that often comes. Is, and I say this because I know it's followed into my own heart, into my own line of thinking. I thought to myself, I haven't fallen into that trap like other people have, Jesus. So why is it so difficult here still for me? Or why is this so hard? Or why, why am I not getting what other people are getting? It's really easy to count up all the things that you're doing still. The whole point of this passage is for Jesus to show everyone, those who are lost and those who are following him at that moment, that you will not do anything in your life to prove that you've earned or you deserve eternal life. Believers in here, you, you won't ever do enough in your life to prove that the ticket that you've been given to enter into eternity is valid. That, that God, yeah, yeah, you deserve this. God gave this to you and you deserve it. You're never going to do enough to prove your worth for that ticket. You know, that's good news, but you're never going to prove your worth. The only reason any of us ever is given that ticket is because Christ in his love, mercy, and grace chose to save us and grant us eternal life in him. So it's not up to us. It's up to him. Let's pray. Father, uh, I thank you for this time for these students. Thank you for this time that we get to share together each week. Most of all, Lord, I just pray that it is a transformative time. Lives are changed. That you would work and do the things that only you can do. To draw students to you. That you beckon them. You call on them. You say to them, leave this behind.